I just absolutely love it. And I want to dive a bit deeper into this because this is another thing that you talk about so brilliantly is that often the time when we most want to leap into that criticism, you might use the word triggered, is when it's something that we were shamed for as children or something that we were shut down for. And this is why I just adore your work because I'm really into thinking about cycle breaking and just watching my own reactions. I'm like, wow, this is actually nothing to do with what's in front of me here. (laughs) This is to do something else. Can you help us unpick that big sort of web. I'm imagining a big ball of wool sometimes. It's like pulling the threads, isn't it? A hundred percent. That's a beautiful image. Exactly. Yes. So triggers, right? And our kids and the way that like our kids kind of become actors in our own play. (laughs) You're like, whoa, okay. The circuit in me that just reacted to a behavior in them that circuit predated their existence. Like it was probably in my body. I got triggered when they had a tantrum, but that circuit lived in my body way before they were even alive. So I think it's easy to go into, oh, so it's my fault mode. I always think like there's something between it's my fault or my kid's fault. Can we just have a world where it's nobody's fault and there's an actual opportunity just to learn and change? That just seems more effective. So it's not your fault. It's not your kid's fault. This is just an opportunity. So let's take tantrums as an example. I hear this from a lot of parents. Like when my kid has a tantrum, which often is over something seemingly on the surface irrational, I get triggered. Like I know the parent I want to be in that moment. I know it. I've read the books. I've watched the videos. And yet the moment comes and I'm saying things I promised myself I wouldn't say. So what is going on in this moment? So I'm deeply inspired by internal family systems theory, Dick Schwartz's theory of the mind and the body and so powerful. So I'm going to give an explanation that's IFS inspired. What do we do as kids? Let's start with ourselves, right? And then we'll come back to the present moment and the trigger of your child's tantrum. Well, when we were kids, same thing for our kids now that they're kids, a kid's job is to figure out how to survive. Human beings are dependent for so long compared to other animal species. I never know the age exactly, but I don't know. Like it takes, you got to be over 10 at least. (laughs) I'm probably older to like really survive on your own. So what that means is as our bodies are developing wiring, it's developing wiring in the context of utter dependency on your caregivers. So everything you're learning in your body is some version of, is this safe? Is this going to get me closeness and connection with my parents, which means survival? Or is this going to get me distance and punishment and being sent away? And some version of, ooh, we don't do that in this family. And that is actually a threat to my survival because survival is based on attaching and really being proximal to my parents. So we think our kids are interacting with us based on just what's happening in the moment. They are actually filtering everything that's happening with us in the moment through that lens of, is this maximizing my survival through attachment or is this threatening? And then their bodies wire accordingly. So let's say in your own childhood, someone's listening here, you grew up in a family and you might say, I don't even remember the details, but yeah, I'm pretty sure if I have a meltdown in a toy store about a toy I wanted for myself, like I don't even have to remember, but I know the response that would have happened. It would not have been pretty. Some version of a punishment, some version of you're so spoiled, some version of, I don't know, people have said to me, yeah, my parents probably would just literally have left me in the store. They just would have walked out. So what do we know there? We know it literally wasn't safe for me 
to express my strong wants and needs. What are tantrums after all? They're wants and needs that kids have. It is very hard to have a want and not have a want fulfilled. Even for me, I do not like wanting things and having them. It's not always pretty for me. So it's definitely not pretty for a three-year-old. But the problem isn't that a kid wants something. The problem is that a kid hasn't developed the skills yet for wanting and not having a skill that all of us continue to work on. But often that's not seen. If your tantrums would have been shut down harshly in your own childhood, it was probably because your parents didn't really understand the difference. So words like, what is wrong with you? We came here to buy your cousin a present. You are so spoiled. You make everything difficult. A parent with those words probably doesn't understand, whoa, 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 whoa. It's very normal to want things. In fact, if I fast forward my child's life, I want my kid to become an adult who wants things for himself. I also want them one day to be able to manage wanting and not having, but we probably don't get there through shaming the want. We get there through managing the wanting and not having and tolerating and regulating, et cetera, et cetera. That didn't happen. So let's say three-year-old you has this experience. And it's not one experience that wires us, but it's kind of like a version of this over and over and over. What do you learn? Again, learning, learning, learning. Our bodies are so adaptive. Kids are so brilliant and crafty. This is what a kid learns. Wanting things is not safe. Wanting things is definitely not safe if my parent doesn't want me to want that thing. And a strong want? No, 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 no. So bad, so bad, so bad. So we develop a part of us. We really do. There's a part of us that wants. We saw that part on display at the toy store. We develop another part of us, literally. It's a protector part. The protector part is learning and say, I'm going to protect my own body from these wants because as long as I can keep my wants behind like a really strong door, I'm going to get so many more smiles and hugs and connection from my parent. And that's what orients me to life. Okay. So how do I shut down my wants? Well, you know how we learn to shut down our wants harshly. Our protectors get really, really harsh with us because that's often what we've internalized from our own interaction. So I'm going to develop a part of myself the next time I go to a toy store. That's something like this. Becky, you better not be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't ruin this moment. You always want too many things. You are too much for people. That actually might stop me from having a tantrum. I mean, if we think about it in a zoomed out perspective, like how adaptive. Now I haven't done the thing that makes my parents so mad at me. I am maximizing survival. Now let's now fast forward 35 years. You're maybe in a toy store with your kid or you're not. You're just in the kitchen and your kid wants a less crispy crispy apple. You know, I don't know the things that kids upset about, right? This apple is too crispy. I want a less crispy apple. Well, what does your body do? You think you're responding to your kid. That's not what our bodies do. Our bodies scan themselves. They say, what do I know? What do I know about the situation? (laughs) What circuits have I developed? What's adaptive? That protector part of you really is like, I can help. I know what to do. This is so dangerous. This is literally threatening this whole situation. I will take the driver's seat. (laughs) And they do. And they take over us. And they eventually say to our kids some version of what that exact part learned to say to ourselves to shut down the thing that was so threatening. What is wrong with you? You always ask and ask and ask. Let's crispy apple. You're so ridiculous. We're just trying to get through the morning, right? Our kid starts crying. We feel awful about ourselves. But the amazing part about our triggers. And this is actually the foundation for change. And it's interesting. So we were recording this two days before my upcoming triggers workshop. I don't know if you know this. So like, this is literally the perfect question. I've been obsessing over this topic is we have to come at it from a place of compassion because our body is hesitant to let go of the things that were put in place to protect us. Like, thank goodness. Like, I'm so glad now as an adult, I don't have to relearn looking both ways before I cross the street. Like, I'm so glad my body knows I learned that young. 
And I'm going to continue looking both ways. Like it wouldn't be adaptive to just let go of things that were put in place to protect us. So our triggers with our kids, they're really our protector parts from our early years. Like I always say, like they get a little overzealous, like they get a little confused. They don't know. It's, hey, it's 2022. It's not 1990 anymore. I'm not in that toy store, right? I always think it gets dark in our body. It just gets confused. But we have to come at change from that place, that place of thank you. Thank you for all your years of service. I don't need you in the same way as I used to, but you are trying to help me. And the next step that I'll say for everyone listening, which is so life-changing, is when we're triggered by a kid, let's say we're triggered by their tantrum, we want to shut it down in them, just like we had to learn to shut it down in ourselves. It's like the gap between our comfort with ourselves and what we see in our kids is too big. So we kind of say, okay, I'm just going to shut it down in them. The biggest trick of all this is for everyone right now to think of something that they're triggered by in their kid. And then we have to kind of think about like, what does that represent? Because it's not the tantrum. It's probably the big feelings or the big wants, or it's not really the whining. It's the fact that whining represents helplessness and needing others or something like that. And then if we take that next step and think, okay, what if instead of shutting that down in my kid, I really thought about growing that part in myself. Because I guess another way to close that gap between me and my kid is not to make them more like me, but to almost like be inspired by them and like make me a little bit more like them. Do I need to ask for help? Do I need to express a feeling? Right? It doesn't mean you have to have a tantrum in a toy store. Although if you want, you know, that feels healing, go ahead. You know, it doesn't harm anyone. But it's really a complete reversal and framework. And not only leads you to show up in a more grounded way, but even better, in my opinion, it just leads you to have access to more parts of yourself and be like a fuller human being. And that's going to benefit you even more than it's going to benefit your kid. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon. <laughs> 